so as that introduction music fades out, I will welcome you all to episode 005 of the Inform Seminar. My name is Neil Gorman. I will be your host. Nice to uh, be in your ears today. Thanks for downloading and listening to this. On this particular episode of the Inform Seminar, I am going to be covering chapter two or session two of Lacan's Seminar 11, The Four Fundamental Concepts of Psychoanalysis. This section, this chapter of the written text goes from page 17 to page 28 of the English edition, which is put out by Norton. And it was created from, compiled from a, you know, verbal lecture seminar kind of thing that Lacan gave in Paris on the 22nd of January in the year 1964. The title of this chapter of the seminar, or this session of the seminar, which uh, it's interesting. I don't think that Lacan, actually, I shouldn't say, I, I think, I know that Lacan did not title the chapters. The chapters were titled when the seminar was taken from a whole bunch of transcripts and recordings uh, of what Lacan had said. And and those were all kind of taken in. And then Jacqueline Miller, Lacan's son-in-law, you know, kind of edited those and turned them into the written text that we have today. And so it's Miller that has titled this section of the seminar, The Freudian Unconscious and Arts, which is just a super, super fascinating title for reasons that I'll get into in just a moment here. So in this chapter, Lacan moves past speaking about his excommunication, which is something that was covered in previous sections of this seminar. And I've talked about that in previous episodes of this podcast. And he starts to really get into, really talk about the first of the four fundamental concepts, which is the unconscious. The remaining three concepts are, of course, repetition, transference, and the drive. Now, I said that I thought it was fascinating, super interesting, that this chapter is titled The Freudian Unconscious and ours rather than just calling it The Unconscious. Why include the qualifier Freudian? What is it? And does this title suggest perhaps that there are different ways to think about the unconscious. I think that it does. And as we move through this, I think what we'll see is that what Lacan will do is he will kind of talk about, attempt to summarize in a variety of different ways, the ways that Freud wrote about and thought about the unconscious. And then as we move kind of closer to the end, he will talk more about the way that he is thinking about the unconscious at this particular moment in his teachings, uh, that way would be an unconscious, which is structured like a language. Now, the unconscious is structured like a language is this big kind of Lacanian aphorism. I have heard all sorts of people who are very well steeped in Lacan use that aphorism. And I've heard people who are, you know, less steeped, kind of somewhat conversant in Lacan and people who are just starting out there familiar with that aphorism. It's a very important aphorism. But what I want to say right here at the top of this podcast is that Lacan does think of the unconscious as structured like a language at this moment in his teachings. However, he doesn't always think of it that way. He changes how he thinks of the unconscious. And as you move through the teachings of Lacan, if you pay close attention, I'm sure that this is something that you will notice that as you move through this period and, and towards what I would call the late Lacan, the Lacan that is the, the moments which I guess start sometime in the 70s, maybe sometime around seminar 20, when you, you read the way that Lacan is talking about the unconscious in those moments, you'll notice that there's a difference. He's not talking about an unconscious, which is structured like a language then. However, in this moment, in seminar 11, which takes place in the year 1964, he most certainly is talking about the unconscious, which is structured like a language. But I'm getting ahead of myself, so let's back up here and return to the title itself, The Freudian Unconscious and Ours. Now, the Freudian unconscious comes first, so we're going to start talking about that version of the unconscious first as well. On pages, it starts, I think, on page 23, and it kind of goes over onto page 24. Lacan says... And I quote, we must, if we are to understand what it, and it is the unconscious, means in psychoanalysis, go back and trace the concept of the unconscious through the various stages of the process in which Freud elaborated it. 
This is a very Lacanian thing to do, even today, right? If people who are involved in one of the schools of psychoanalysis, which is organized under the WAP, which is the World Association of Psychoanalysis, if you if you are somebody who's in one of those schools, you'll know this. If you're not somebody who's in one of those schools, I'm going to tell you something about them. One of the things that happens in those schools, which I think is really interesting, and this is one of the things that drew me to those schools, is that there's this idea that Freud and Lacan are both these like extremely voluminous thinkers who, who wrote and spoke and thought a whole bunch of things over a course of many, many years. And if you're going to really understand what they're talking about, one of the things which is really important to do is to find a concept, in this case, the unconscious, and it, it's really productive and very useful to go to the very beginning of the teachings of Freud or Lacan and try to trace that concept, the concept of the unconscious, all the way through all of the different stages of thinking that these thinkers go through. So uh, another example of this is something that Jacqueline Miller did with the concept of jouissance. There is this really, really wonderful lecture that Miller gave called The Six Paradigms of Jouissance, and that is actually published in case anybody's interested in something called the psychoanalytic notebooks issue number 34 and i will try to put a link to that in the show notes for anybody who's interested in acquiring it at a later date but anyways before i digress too much what Miller does in that lecture is he he takes the concept of jouissance which is this extremely important concept which is present throughout the entire teaching of lacan it's there in the in the early stages, it's through the middle and all the way to the end. He's talking about jouissance, but he's not always talking about it in the same way. And what Miller does is kind of periodize it. I couldn't say that word very well. He he uh he takes jouissance and he's like, so Lacan talks about jouissance kind of in this way for a while. Then he switches and he talks about it in this new way. And then he switches again and he talks about it, and yet this third way, and he goes all the way through and articulates these six different ways or paradigms that Lacan talks about jouissance throughout his teaching. To do something like this is really difficult. It takes a lot of time and energy to work through something in this extremely exhaustive way. Miller has done it with Lacan and uh, Lacan does it with Freud. And so that's kind of what he's saying at this moment when he says, we must, if we are to understand what the unconscious means in psychoanalysis, go back and trace the unconscious, the concept of the unconscious through the various stages of the process in which Freud elaborated it. What, what Lacan is saying is I've done this, like I've gone back to Freud and I have gone all the way to the beginning and followed him through from the beginning to the end. And as I've done that, I have tried to trace track, kind of map the different ways that Freud thought about the unconscious. And Lacan here calls this a process and that this is a very important thing. Freud was not somebody who just kind of like one day had an epiphany about the unconscious, wrote that down, and that was the way he thought about it forever and ever, no matter what. No, what Freud did is he, uh, I'm using fingers here to do air quotes, discovered the unconscious, and after he discovered it, articulated it, he continued to think about it, and his thinking is a process. It doesn't stay the same. It changes over time. The way that Freud thought about what the unconscious was and what it did and how it did it, that changes over time. And what Lacan is saying is, if we are going to understand the unconscious now, at the time he's speaking in 1964, and I will reiterate, if we are going to understand the unconscious today, and I'm recording this in the year 2022, we are going to need to go and take a look at the ways in which Freud, the Freudian unconscious was articulated, the ways it progressed, the ways it changed kind of over time. So to start with, what Lacan does is he goes on this riff where he starts to say what the Freudian unconscious is not. Now, I'm not going to quote here. I'm just going to kind of paraphrase a bunch of stuff from the seminar. So the first thing the unconscious is not, or the Freudian unconscious is certainly not, is the same kind of unconscious that people are talking about if they are Jungian analysts. So Jungian analysts, you know, will talk about this thing called the collective unconscious. And Lacan is saying not the same thing as the Freudian unconscious at all here. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to get too far away from 
this. So I'm going to resist kind of going off on a long diatribe about the, the differences here and just try to speak very, very quickly about this. I think that Lacan, you know, was somebody who did invest some time into understanding what Jung was on, was on about when he was talking about this kind of thing called the collective unconscious. And he was certainly onto what Freud was talking about when Freud was talking about the unconscious. And the, the key difference between the two is that the Freudian unconscious is something which makes a person, makes a subject singular. It, it, so you have your relationship to your unconscious. I have my relationship to my unconscious. These things are different. They are not the same. My relationship to my unconscious is totally and absolutely unique to me. And your relationship to your unconscious is totally and absolutely unique to you. Freud does not go in for this idea that there is some kind of primordial unconscious that has these sorts of universalized archetypal figures within it that every single person is going to have. Not at all. Freud, the Freudian unconscious, again, I'm going to probably sound like a broken record here, but this is such an important point, is something which is yours and yours alone. If you have a dream and in your dream there are mountains, the, a psychoanalyst, a Freudian psychoanalyst might have you free associate to mountains and see what happens when you do that. Now, if I had the same dream and if I hadn't, didn't have the same dream, if I had a dream and my dream also had mountains in it, the, an analyst could do the same thing, have me free associate to mountains and see what came up. Now, my guess is that the, in, in this example I'm giving, my associations to mountains are going to be totally different than your associations to mountains. Yeah, maybe we'll use some of the same associations. Like maybe you say Colorado and I say Colorado. But there's going to be a lot of ways in which it's different. If you are somebody who grew up around mountains, you're going to have a totally different set of associations to mountains than I would because I did not grow up around mountains. I grew up in the, mostly in the American Midwest. So mountains were not really a huge part of my life. So that means that we're not going to think about them the same way. They're not going to be associated to the same set of memories and experiences, so on and so forth. They're going to be different. And so where Jungian analysts might think of like mountains as uh, some sort of manifestation of like an earth archetype, Freudians would not do that. They, would, they wouldn't care about maybe what, about the similarities, I guess you'd say, between my associations to mountains and your associations to mountains. What they would focus on is the difference the idiosyncratic, the unique way uh, in which mountains kind of are a signifier that has a particular meaning, which is particular to you or, or particular to me. So hopefully that, that makes some sense here. So that's the first thing that the Freudian unconscious is not, not this universal collective unconscious with all sorts of archetypes that are the same for everybody. No, 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 that's not what it is. Nor is the Freudian unconscious the pre-conscious. So Freud, you know, early on, he talks about the unconscious, the pre-conscious, and the conscious. A lot of times the pre-conscious gets forgotten. So I'm going to do a real quick review of what that is, or at least my understanding of it. So right now, you're listening to this, doing whatever it is that you're doing. If I were to ask you to think about your first grade teacher, okay, some moments go by, some memories have probably come up for you. Now, my guess is that you were not thinking about your first grade teacher prior to me saying, think about your first grade teacher. That was something that you were not conscious of. You were not conscious of your thoughts, memories, and associations of your first grade teacher. They were in your pre-conscious, which means it was really easy for me to ask you to take them out of your pre-conscious and put them into your consciousness. We just did that. That didn't take any energy, right? That was super easy. You could access those. They were in storage. You knew where they were, and your brain gremlins could grab the file labeled first grade teacher and hand it to your consciousness. Here you go. Have a day. That's, that's the pre-conscious. So this is very important. The, the Freudian unconscious is not the pre-conscious. The pre-conscious is something that we have access to. It is something that we can reach into and retrieve things from. The Freudian unconscious is something that is off limits, right? If something is in the unconscious, we don't have access to it. Now, it's really interesting because things that are in the Freudian unconscious, although we don't have access to them, they kind of have access to us. So if there's, for example, a desire which has been repressed and put into the unconscious, that means that we are unaware of that desire. We can't think about that desire. We can't discuss that desire, so on and so forth. However, that desire is there. 
And it does exert an influence over our lives in all sorts of different ways. It kind of like messes with us through things like parapraxis, which are, you know, bungled actions, slips of the tongue, that sort of thing. Dreams. Uh, It might even manifest in the things that we happen to find funny and amusing and in jokes and whatnot, right? So that is the Freudian unconscious. So again, don't confuse it with the Jungian unconscious, collective unconscious thing. Also, don't confuse it with the pre-conscious. So after talking a lot about what the unconscious is not, Lacan points out what the, or he kind of starts talking about what the unconscious is. And he does that by pointing out that the unconscious, the Freudian unconscious, shows up when something goes wrong or when it goes awry, when something unexpected happens. When a person is going through their life with some kind of conscious intention or plan and something happens that derails said intention, said plan. That is where the Freudian unconscious shows up. And that is where Lacan starts. The Freudian unconscious is the thing that shows up, asserts itself in our lives when something gets in the way of things working out the way that we consciously planned. When the unconscious shows up, when the Freudian unconscious shows up, it has an effect and people tend to notice the effect. Now, uh, a person might notice it different than a a psychoanalyst. A a normal person might, for example, engage in a slip of the tongue. They may say uh, somebody else's name, for example, and they might, you know, just kind of write it off real quickly. But when that happens, it it does have an effect on the conversation they're having in some way. Um, Give you an example here. Say that there's a person and they are in some kind of committed romantic relationship with another person. And at one point, uh, this person calls their current romantic partner the name of a prior romantic partner. <gasps> oh, okay. That could have an effect, right, on the conversation is, is an example here. And, eh, you know, maybe it doesn't have much of an effect. Maybe the current partner kind of doesn't care about it. But a lot of times it'll have an effect, right? That's the kind of point that I'm trying to make here. Psychoanalysts are people who really pay attention to these sorts of things, and they don't write them off, right? They, they go, ooh, you, a mistake just happened. Something unexpected has just occurred. Ooh, there was an error in your speech or your action or, or whatever. Let's pay attention to that because that is actually one of the ways that we can start to kind of understand what might be going on in an individual person's unconscious and their relationship to that unconscious. Now, another thing that I really want to call your attention to is that when the unconscious shows up and it has an effect, a lot of times it is the effect that the unconscious has on our kind of day-to-day life that creates what I would call an urgency. And that urgency is often what brings a person to a psychoanalyst or to a psychotherapist asking for some kind of help. There's something that is going wrong in their lives. There's something which is kind of messing them up. And that has made them go, I have a problem. This has created that urgency. And they come in to an analyst saying, or or to a psychotherapist saying, this is what's going wrong. Can maybe you could help me with that? At least that's the way that Freud especially is thinking about the unconscious. Uh, And that's one of the things that Lacan is really, I think, attempting to make very clear in this particular chapter of seminar 11. Now, as I'm talking about this, this is kind of interesting for me. I I feel a desire to kind of like deviate from the notes that I've prepared to create this podcast and go off on like some sort of extended riff on the urgency that brings people into psychoanalysis. But if I were to do that, I would be moving too far away from the text of seminar 11. And so maybe what I'll do, we'll see is uh, at some future point, I might do kind of like an addendum to this podcast like I did with the prior podcasts where I'll go on that extended riff about the urgency that brings people into psychoanalysis. So if that's something that sounds like it might be interesting to you, uh, pay attention, you know, just uh, watch for more episodes of this podcast and you might hear more about that then. So anyways, okay, having said that, urgency that is being generated from something that is in the unconscious, which we don't have access to, but again, it kind of has access to us. And and that is evidenced by the ways in which it 
kind of interferes with our life and creates this urgency that brings people in to see a psychoanalysis, which brings people in to see a psychoanalyst. So bouncing back to the text here, I'm on page 22. There we see that Lacan says, there is cause only in something that doesn't work. I am trying to make you see by approximation that the Freudian unconscious is situated at that point where, between cause and that which it affects, there is always something wrong. For what the unconscious does is show us that gap through which neurosis recreates a harmony with the real. What a great quote. I'm going to read that one more time. There is cause only in something that doesn't work. I am trying to make you see by approximation that the Freudian unconscious is situated at the point where between cause and what it affects, there is always something wrong. That is the, the first part, super, super important. Second part here, for what the unconscious does is show us that the gap through which the neurosis recreates harmony with the real. All right, so what I'm going to do here is I'm going to try to take what Lacan is saying and put it into my own words. What he's getting at, I think, is that there's this thing, the unconscious. The unconscious is something which in a way exists, although we can't touch it or see it or so on and so forth. It, it, it um, exists in a very strange way. And we know that it exists because even though we can't see it, we can see the effects that it's having on our lives. So in this way, a metaphor I sometimes use is to say that the unconscious is sort of like psychological dark matter. So there's this thing in physics, dark matter. And I don't know if I understand it correctly, but my understanding of dark matter is this. There's something in the universe that we can't observe directly, but what we can observe is the way that it is affecting the things that we can observe. The same could be said of the unconscious, right? We can't observe it directly, but what we can see is the effects that it has on our conscious intentions, our plans, that sort of thing, right? So when we pay attention, we can see the unconscious asserting itself in our lives. And when it does that, there's this production that occurs. It, it, the unconscious produces a gap between you know, our conscious intentions, what we want to happen, what we say to ourselves and other people, this is what I'm trying to do and this is how I'm trying to do it. That, that's our conscious plan. And then there's this unconscious desire, which sometimes doesn't go along with our conscious plan. And what the unconscious does sometimes is it's able to kind of cut into our conscious plan. And when it cuts into it, what happens is a, a gap opens up. And in that gap, we can see for a moment, we can get just a tiny, tiny, very brief glimpse of our unconscious desire. But the thing is that the um, gap does not stay open very long. It, it's very, very, very quick, right? So the unconscious cuts, gap opens, and then very, very quickly, this thing, which is our neurosis, kind of steps in. And what it tries to do is it tries to stitch up that gap, which was created. So earlier on, in this podcast, I gave the example of somebody uh, referring to their current romantic partner by the name of a prior romantic partner. When that happens, that would be something where the unconscious kind of cuts and opens up a gap. I'm going to kind of uh, continue rolling with that metaphor for a moment here. Let's say the current romantic partner sees that and they, they might say something along the lines of, it sounds like maybe you know, there's still some residual, some leftover unresolved stuff from that previous re relationship with your, your prior partner. Uh, the, the person who made the slip might say, no, 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 no. Uh, trust me, it was nothing. Uh, I, the reason I said that is that recently my prior partner, you know, sent me a text message and it turns out that there's something of theirs that I still have in my house and I'm kind of, I need to return it. And that's on my mind. And that, that's why I said their name. I just want to return this and get that over with and get them out of my lives. I, I don't have any unresolved issues with them. That would be the neurosis kind of trying to stitch up that gap that the unconscious had just created in the conscious plan of having, you know, some sort of nice and kind of a non-stressful interaction with their current romantic partner. So another way you could think of this, think of the neurosis, is that the neurosis is in a lot of ways, 
kind of synonymous with our personality or with our ego, right? That our ego, our personality, this is the thing that we display to the external world that we, we try to act like this very well put together, non-problematic sort of person who goes through life without difficulty or, you know, other sorts of weird stuff going on. And of course, all of that is totally false because none of us are like that. We're all messes and broken in various ways. But of course, we don't just kind of put that out, hopefully anyways, we don't just put that out there for everybody to see. Some people do that and we'll talk about them maybe on a different podcast some other time. But generally speaking, people try to portray themselves, present themselves as somebody who is not like that. And that is a good way to think about the neurotic. The neurotic is somebody who is messed up, but they are pretty good at pretending and presenting themselves as somebody who is not that messed up, as somebody who has this kind of like harmonious relationship with, you know, other people, with the world around them, so on and so forth. And uh, that is what psychoanalysis tends to not believe. Psychoanalysis is like, okay, the way that you're presenting yourself, the front that you're putting up for me to see that your ego has created, the personality that you have cultivated and have created and continue to maintain over time, that is something which stands kind of like in between uh, the external world and, and me and, and your unconscious. But your unconscious is there. And your unconscious, that is something which is important and we do need to pay attention to it. So psychoanalysis is very, very, very interested in and attuned to trying to be very uh, aware of and able to zero in on the ways in which the unconscious kind of cuts through that rather elaborate kind of presentation of self that we're engaging in most of the time. The way in which the unconscious cuts through our neurotic personality and reveals some something that is going on in this thing called our unconscious itself. So now let's bounce back to the text again. I'm still on page 22 here. In this gap, the gap that the unconscious produces, in this gap, something happens. Once this gap has been filled, is the neurosis cured? Question mark. After all, the question remains open, but the neurosis becomes something else. Sometimes a mere illness, a scar, as Freud said, the scar, not of the neurosis, but of the unconscious. What does he find in the hole, in the split, in the gap so characteristic of cause? Question mark. Something of the order of the non-realized. This is a somewhat complicated quote. I'm going to read it one more time, and I'm going to try to unpack it for you. In this gap, again, the, the gap is the gap which is created when the unconscious slices through our neurotic personality. Something happens. Once this gap has been filled, is the neurosis cured? Question mark. Lacan is asking that as a question. After all, the question remains open, but the neurosis becomes something else, something of a mere illness, a scar, as Freud said. The scar, not of the neurosis, but of the unconscious. What does he find in the hole in the split in the gap so characteristic of cause? Something of the order of the non-realized. So to start with here, what I think Lacan is calling our attention to is the fact that very often when the unconscious intervenes in our lives, when it is able to cut through the very well-constructed personality, the, the ego, people tend to very quickly stitch that up. And then there's this scar. And what Lacan is saying is that a psychoanalyst discovers something in that process, in the gap, in, in the scar which is left over after the ego slash neurosis kind of covers up whatever it was that the unconscious revealed. A psychoanalyst will tend to try to offer to the analysand what might have been glimpsed in that brief instance where the unconscious was slightly visible for just a moment before that gap was closed up, kind of scarred over. The psychoanalyst will say something like, hey, don't try to cover that up so quickly. Look, there's something there. We have discovered something. Uh, and what we've discovered is something which is in your unconscious. Now, at this moment, again, I, I don't want to lose track of this. Lacan is talking about the way that Freud thought about and articulated the unconscious. So the way that Freud 
is articulating the unconscious. What it is that is in the unconscious is a desire. It's a desire that somebody has, but they don't want to have it, but they do. And that desire, which people have, even though they don't want to, that desire is sometimes making itself felt, making itself known in all of these different ways. Now, uh, one of the things which I think is important to try to focus on here is that Lacan is very, I think, clearly saying that the unconscious is what cuts and it's the neurosis that then creates a scar over what, uh, over the cut that the unconscious has made. The scar is a very interesting metaphor. The scar is this thing that you might not see unless you're paying attention, but the scar indicates that something went wrong at a certain point, right? You, if somebody has a scar, you look at that and you think, okay, that, that scar is evidence. It's a leftover of something that has happened in the past that wasn't supposed to happen. And this metaphor is, I think, being deployed here to indicate that even though we're not talking about like literal scars on a person's skin, what we are talking about is sort of metaphorical scars on their neurotic personality. Moving forward in the text here, I'm going to page number 25 here. For Freud, what occurs, what is produced in this gap is presented as the discovery. This discovery is at the same time a solution. What does Lacan mean when he uses the term solution? I'm not 100% sure this is what it means, but I believe that neurosis, which I've been talking about quite a bit in, in this podcast, could also be described as our symptom. And our symptom is always a solution for dealing with what the unconscious does to us. It is a way of coping with how the unconscious cuts into and interferes with our lives. So going back to the quote here, for Freud, what occurs, what is produced in this gap is presented uh, and is presented as a discovery. This discovery is at the same time a solution. So I think that this is super important here. Lacan and Freud are never suggesting that there is a cure to being a person with an unconscious. I think both of them, Freud and Lacan, are very aware of and make the point that all people who have an unconscious, you're, you're always going to have an unconscious, which means that in some ways your unconscious is always going to be messing with you. It's always going to be kind of screwing around and doing things to you that are a surprise and that derail your, your conscious plans and whatnot. And you're never going to get over that. That's always going to be a part of your life. However, uh, what happens in a psychoanalysis is that people become aware that their neurosis is something which was created as a solution to a way of dealing with what is in the unconscious. And what, if that can occur, what happens is people can sort of shift the way that they relate to their unconscious. So instead of putting all of their time and energy into maintaining their neurosis, their, their solution, what they can do is they can accept, okay, this is going to be something that I always do. I'm always going to have a personality. I'm always going to be somewhat neurotic. I'm always going to have a symptom or symptoms, plural. Uh, okay. But rather than trying to always strengthen those and just kind of come up with new ways of avoiding the unconscious, one of the effects of a psychoanalysis is that an analysand can become a little bit more interested in what's going on in their unconscious. And they can start to examine it. And by examining it, they change their relationship to both their symptom and to their unconscious. So earlier in this podcast, I said that when somebody comes to a psychoanalyst or a psychotherapist, a lot of times there's some kind of urgency going on in their life. There's something that's happening, which is such a big problem that they, they think I have to talk to somebody about this. I, I, I can't handle this on my own. And so they, they come and they seek somebody out who can help them with that. Uh, now, a lot of times what they're doing when they come in is they're, they're urgently saying, Hey, I have this problem. Can you please just make this problem go away? IE, can you just make my neurosis stronger? Can you take my neurosis, which was a solution to my unconscious and re-strengthen it, make it start working again? And in some psychotherapies, I think that's exactly what happens. But in psychoanalysis, that is not what happens. What happens in psychoanalysis is the analyst kind of in a certain way might say, eh, not so fast. Let's take a look at what's going on here because um, what you were doing to deal with this, that's clearly not working anymore. 
So rather than just trying to do that again and have it not work again, maybe we could shift the way that you're relating to your symptom. Maybe we could shift the way that you're relating to your unconscious, i.e. maybe we could change the way that you're living and make you a little bit more open to your unconscious. And if we can do that, your life might be a little bit easier. And I, I don't know if everybody who, who's listening to this is going to necessarily buy that as an explanation, but that's kind of how I think about psychoanalysis. Now, another thing that I want to point out here is that people don't come to a psychoanalyst or to a psychotherapist when their neurosis, when their symptom is actually working, when the solution is still a solution, they don't do that, right? They continue to just kind of like live their lives. It's only when the unconscious is kind of persistently slicing through that solution, slicing through the ways that they have habitually learned to deal with their life, the ways in which they present themselves as this kind of like well put together person. When the unconscious is really frequently slicing through that, that's when that urgency occurs. And that's when a person comes to a psychoanalyst or a psychotherapist saying, could you please help me? Let's bounce back to the text here again. This is going to, what I'm going to read to you is kind of a collection of quotes that I've put together from pages 25 and 26 of the text. In the dream, in parapraxis, in the flash of wit, what is it that strikes one first? Failure. Freud is attracted by these phenomena. It is there that he seeks the unconscious. There, something other demands to be realized. What occurs, what is produced in this gap, is presented as the discovery. So let me unpack this one first before moving on. There's one part of this and that I think is super important here. Lacan is saying that Freud noticed that there are these kind of phenomenon that are happening in a person's life that derail them, that create this urgency. And he says, and I'm going to return to this as a direct quote, something other demands to be realized. This is really important here. Something other, that is the unconscious. The unconscious demands to be realized. That is kind of what Lacan is saying. This is what Freud discovered and articulated, that there is this other part of us that kind of has a mind of its own. Let's call it the unconscious. And it has something that it is trying to make us realize, even though we don't want to realize it. Bouncing back to the text. Discontinuity, then, is the essential form in which the unconscious first appears to us as a phenomenon. Discontinuity in which something is manifested as a vacillation. So again, in this bit, what Lacan is saying, again, is that there's this discontinuity. The unconscious comes up and we notice it when there is not continuity between you know, what we think we're trying to do, what we think we're trying to produce, what we think we're trying to say, what we think we're trying to get done, and what does get said, get done, etc. When there's continuity there, okay, no unconscious, nothing to see. However, when there's a discontinuity, when somebody is consciously intending X, but instead, and, and they set out to make X happen, to produce X, but they don't do it, instead they produce A, that's the thing that we pay attention to because there's this vacillation between X and A, a vacillation between what we're attempting to do and what actually occurs. This is something that we pay attention to. Again, this is something that Freud was really, really good at articulating. You know, don't just pay attention to what works. Again, this is something that a lot of psychotherapists do. And this is one of the things that differentiates psychotherapy so significantly from psychoanalysis. I think in a lot of psychotherapies, there's this tendency to focus on what is working and then try to kind of like grow that. Where in psychoanalysis, there's this tendency to focus on what does not work, what is going wrong. That is the most important thing. And that is where the attention gets directed. Bouncing back to the text, as soon as it, the, the discontinuity, is presented, this discovery becomes a rediscovery. And furthermore, it is always ready to steal away again, thus establishing the dimension of loss. It loses itself in as much as it finds itself again. This is a really important quote. I'm going to read it one more time. As soon as it is presented, this discovery becomes a rediscovery. And furthermore, it is always ready to steal away again, thus establishing the dimension of loss. It loses itself in as much as it finds itself again. Freud here is pointing out that the unconscious is trying to reveal something to us that at one point we wanted, but at a certain point, it became clear to us that it was not okay to want whatever it is that we wanted. There's a desire. We desired it. In the past, we desired it, and that desire, in a way, was conscious. 
However, when we attempted to realize that desire, bad things happened. And as a result of that, that desire ended up being put into the unconscious. So whenever the unconscious cuts through our kind of conscious plan and uh, presents us with something, what's going on here is it's trying to kind of show us something that we lost. We don't know that we lost it, but we did. And the unconscious is trying to be like, hey, you lost this desire. I'm trying to give it back to you. But what happens in these instances is the neurosis, the ego is like, no, 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 actually put that, you get rid, nope, stitch that back up, uh-uh, not looking at that desire. And, and they try to keep it repressed. And this is one of the things that Freud is trying to articulate for us and make us aware of. This is a really, really key point. The idea that what the unconscious is up to could be described as trying to help us refine something that we've lost, but we don't know that we've lost it. Now, one of the things that can happen in psychoanalysis is, um, I don't know that we can totally like refine or reclaim the desire, but we can shift our relationship to it. And I keep on saying that, and it's probably going to be a consistent theme throughout these podcasts. So if you're sick of hearing that, my apologies, you will probably hear it again. So again, super, super important point here. What the unconscious is doing is helping us refine something, refine the thing that we wanted. We repressed it. We still want it. We just don't know that we want it. And it's trying to be like, hey, here's this want. You lost this. Let me give it back to you. The unconscious acts in a way that results in this rediscovering the heretofore lost desire, while the neurosis in the service of the ego works to re-lose, re-hide, re-repress that desire that was revealed by the unconscious in things like slips of the tongue, bungled actions, dreams, etc. And just to hammer this point home one more time, going back to the text, this time page number 28. There, Lacan says, thus the unconscious is always manifested as that which vacillates in the split in the subject, from which emerges a discovery that Freud compares with desire, where the subject surprises himself in some unexpected way. Really, really cool quote there. I'm going to read it one more time. Thus, the unconscious is always manifested in that which vacillates in the split in the subject, from which emerges a discovery that Freud compares with desire, where the subject surprises himself in some unexpected way. So the first thing I want to call your attention to is the use of the word split. This is going to be something to that is probably familiar to those of you who have read some Lacan. You know, Lacan it will uh, use the symbol to signify the subject, and it's a, a capital S with a bar going right through the middle of it. Uh, it looks almost like a dollar sign, except a dollar sign oftentimes you know has two bars going through it. This just has one bar going through it, the barred subject. And that split indicates the way in which we, you, I, all the people who we know, all the people we don't know, everybody who is a speaking person is split between on one side their conscious plan, their conscious, this is what I want to make happen in my life kind of stuff, and the unconscious, repressed, hidden, lost desires, which Freud is articulating in his version of the unconscious, right? We're split between these two things. What we consciously think we want to do and what we unconsciously truly desire, another way we could say this perhaps would be that we are split between our ego, our personality, our neurosis on one hand, and what is repressed, lost, or hidden and put into our unconscious on the other. Sometimes when I teach about this uh, in classes, what I'll do is I'll say that there are things that we consciously want and a lot of times, you know, those are, we do want those things. I don't want to make it sound like they're a lie or totally ridiculous or something like that because they're not. The things that constitute our conscious plan, they are a conscious plan. They are things that we want. However, in addition, that's not the whole story. In addition to that, sometimes there are these things that we in fact really want, but for various reasons, it is not okay for us to consciously really want them. And when that occurs, this is where the phenomenon that Freud called repression happens. And repression is taking those desires and putting them in a place called the unconscious. And the unconscious is the sort of like, again, I'm using air quotes here, but you can't see that other place where these desires end up being. 
And that's what Lacan is getting at here. He's getting at the way that Freud really did think about and write about and talk about the unconscious. The unconscious was very much, in a way, you could think of it as a place. And, and it was this place where all of these things that at one point we really, really wanted, but became disallowed from wanting, end up being placed. They're not destroyed. When something is put in the unconscious, according to Freud, he's very clear on this, it is not destroyed. It's just put someplace where it continues to exist and we don't have access to it. And that is the way that Freud is talking about this. So I'm going to try to summarize some of the points that have been made so far here. Lacan is summarizing Freud. When he summarizes Freud, he talks about the way that Freud articulates the unconscious. Now, Freud said a lot of things about the unconscious, so Lacan kind of cherry-picks a couple of very, very important things from the vast amount of things that Freud had written and said about the unconscious. So the first thing, Freud talked about neurosis. He talked about treating neurotics with psychoanalysis. And what Lacan says is that neurosis is like this surface that is kind of layered over the unconscious Another way we could think of our neurosis, as I'm describing it here in this podcast, is it's our personality. Some people might even go so far as to say that it's our ego. It's this thing that exists as a layer over the unconscious and prevents people from seeing, including ourselves, it prevents ourselves and others from seeing and experiencing directly what is in our unconscious. It is the surface that hides the unconscious desires. Now, occasionally what Freud kind of tries to show us is there's these things that happen in our lives and we're very often going to just sort of write them off as nothing to see there. That was just a silly mistake. But Freud says, no, there's no such thing, right? As a silly mistake. And that, that's not exactly true. Freud, there's this really famous Freudian aphorism. Sometimes a cigar is just a cigar. Freud recognized that sometimes you can make a mistake and it is truly just a mistake. So for example, if you were to leave and try to get to work and you know that it normally takes you say 30 minutes to get to work and so you leave when there's a, with about 40 minutes all right that's your typical day so say one day you do that and it turns out that there's this horrific accident and you're you're late to work freud would not i think attribute that kind of mistake to the unconscious that would be a cigar being just a cigar however if you are habitually late to work even though you're telling yourself consciously i don't want to be late i need to take steps to stop myself from being late i need to have a plan so that i'm not late to work if you do that and you're still late again and again and again that freud would say represents more of a, an unconscious desire perhaps to lose your job or something like that that is being repressed and and that's the thing here so again uh bouncing back to the point i was trying to make before i launched into this somewhat long parenthetical remark uh, Freud says that, you know, we have neurosis. It's like our personality. It is a layer over our unconscious desires. However, sometimes the unconscious is able to cut through that layer, cut through this really elaborately constructed, well put together veneer that we present to the world. And when that happens, you're able to get a glimpse of an unconscious desire. However, the ego, the neurosis is very crafty and it, it's very good at then kind of very very, very quickly covering up that, that cut and creating a scar over it. And what Freud was doing when he was articulating the unconscious, in particular in the very first part of what he was writing and thinking, he, he's really interested in kind of, you know, examining those scars, kind of pushing on them a little bit and, and maybe even at times trying to open them back up so that that which is unconscious might become more conscious and we can do something different with it. So that is the way that Freud was talking about the unconscious. And Lacan here is, you know, trying to make people aware of that. Because even in 1964, I think, when Lacan is giving this lecture, then, like now, a lot of people had heard of Freud. He was somebody who was known. People had knew who Freud was and to a degree had an idea of what Freud had talked about and believed. However, then and now... A lot of people also had a lot of misconceptions about Freud, a lot of opinions that they had created about Freud, not by reading Freud directly themselves, but by listening to other people comment on Freud. And a lot of times the people who were commenting on Freud, they hadn't read Freud either. And that annoyed Lacan. It annoys me too. And so what Lacan is doing in this section of the seminar, I think, 
is trying to sort of set the record straight. Here is what Freud thought. Let me kind of give it to you in, in this way. And so that's the Freudian unconscious. However, as I'm sure you've noticed, the title of this chapter was The Freudian Unconscious and Ours. What is this and ours? What is the unconscious that is not the Freudian unconscious? That, I hope, is a question that's on your mind. However, I'm not going to answer it today because if I were to get into the next version of the unconscious, the Lacanian version of the unconscious as it exists at this moment in Lacan's teaching, I would be talking for quite a bit longer and I don't want to make this podcast egregiously long. So I'm going to practice the very blank podcast and I'm going to scan the podcast right here, you know, cliffhanger. What is this other unconscious that, that is going on? What is the, the unconscious that is not the Freudian unconscious? Ah, right. That's hopefully what you're, you're doing right now. You're probably not that concerned about it, but in my fantasy you are. And if you come back and you listen to the next episode of this podcast, I will get into that. Until then, I hope that you uh, are enjoying yourselves doing the various things and stuff that you are doing. I hope that you are damning the demand and saving the desire, and I hope that you are making some glorious mistakes. Till next time, please, 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 try to stay open to the unconscious. Listen to what it's telling you. Don't write it off as just a, a simple thing that you shouldn't pay attention to. Try to get a glimpse in that gap when it shows up. <laughs>